Well, thank you so much today for leading us in worship. And um, Rebecca, yeah, how about Rebecca? She, um, she just today didn't just play and sing that beautiful song. She actually wrote the music and the lyrics first and then sang it and played it for us. How about that? So uh, great job, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Well, you know, our, our theme for 2021 is a journey of faith. And you see that behind me here on this, these screens, our 150th anniversary as a church. And it has really been a journey of faith. So this entire year, we have been uh, exploring the various facets of faith. We find ourselves in August now of 2021, and our theme for August is a faith-filled church. And so we're exploring what that means, and we're looking at the book of Acts. We're reading through the book of Acts in our daily Bible readings. We're going to study the book of Acts in a, a little different perspective starting tonight. And so we started last Sunday morning. So what is a faith-filled church? What are, what are the characteristics of a faith-filled church? church. Well, I don't necessarily uh, intend to answer that definitively, but I will just give you some um, ideas that I have based on my study of the scripture and the years I have spent leading a local church. Last Sunday, we um, talked about two things that uh, are characteristics of a faith-filled church. First of all, it knows what time it really is. Now, that's an easy one because most Baptists can tell you what time it is when church lets out. They're, they're good at knowing what time it really is. That's not what I mean. What I mean is they are able to read the seasons. You know, that's one of Jesus' critiques of the leaders of his day. He said, you know, you can predict the weather. You, you look at the sky, but you don't know what time it is. You, you, you don't know what era you're in. Well, a faith-filled church knows what era we're in. As I shared with you last Sunday, I'm a proponent of what theologians call inaugurated eschatology. That means I believe we live in the now and the not yet. That even though we're engaged in ministry in this present age, we're already citizens of the age to come. Second, a faith-filled church understands God's empowering and equipping presence. That means a faith-filled church knows that it is not called to engage in ministry in its own power, in its own strength in its own abilities. It, the church relies upon the empowering presence of the Spirit of God. So with that said, let's look at another aspect of a faith-filled church. And I would uh, point us today to Acts 2, and I've entitled the message, The Church Devoted. That's another characteristic of a faith-filled church. It is devoted. Luke sums up what happened at Pentecost at the end of Luke 2. Look at it with me, verse 42. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, in the, the New Testament, it's written in Greek, as you know, and in the Greek text, prayer is actually in the plural. The prayers is literally what it says. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is the, this is the mother church, the first church in this era in Jerusalem. And Luke just says, here's what happened at the very beginning in the life of this church, a brief summary statement. Now I wanna draw your attention to verse 42, where it is going to challenge us to think about what this really means. You know, when you make your way into um, our welcome center at First Baptist Arlington, have y'all ever noticed the scripture ring on the floor under the rotunda? You know, it's the Carolingian cross. It's the intersecting of these symbols of the Trinity that form a cross. And then around the edge, there's a scripture passage. You see that? You know, when we were engaged in um, the design of the Welcome Center, I, I wanted that, a scripture ring in the floor, and I wanted a cross because I wanted you to be welcomed when you come into our building to know that we are people who actually are followers of Jesus. We, we believe that the cross has delivered us, set us free from our sin. And I wanted a scripture to encircle it. Uh, John Hoffman is the one who designed that for us. And, and, but my challenge was I couldn't decide which scripture. So we, we decided on the basic design. We came across this particular cross. And then John kept emailing me, what text do you want in this scripture ring? And I kept writing him back saying, I'm not sure yet, just be patient. Finally, he sent me a mock-up one day and he said, since you won't provide one, I will give you the first text I memorized at church. And so he sent me that scripture ring, a photo of it, and it said, Jesus wept. <clears throat> in big letters. <clears throat> okay. But we decided that was not actually the text we would use. But I chose Acts 2, 42. That's what you're greeted with when you enter our buildings, this foundational text. I wanna draw your attention to one particular word in that text, devoted. They were devoted. These early believers were committed followers of Jesus. Um, Proskartoreo is the Greek word. Kartoreo means to be strong. It means, to, it means to stand firm, steadfast. You put that little prefix pros on it. It means to thoroughly be standing towards something, to be strong towards something, to be steadfastly committed to something. And you find that word in the New Testament many times. It's found in the very beginning of the book of Acts. In Acts 1 verse 4, same word. The, the apostles were continuing steadfastly with one mind. You'll notice in the text we just read, look at verse 46. It says, every day they continued to meet together. That's the NIV's translation of the very same word. Every day they continued steadfastly with one mind to meet together. Acts chapter six, verse four, the apostles decide we need to do something about these widows. We've gotta care for these widows. We are going to continue to give ourselves to prayer steadfastly, same word. It is, a, it is a steadfast commitment. It means that these people said our beliefs and our actions 
go together. We demonstrate what we believe by what we do. So in the very beginning, this, this early church was devoted. And you know, turns out they needed to be because you just flip over a couple of pages in the book of Acts and you come to Acts 8 and it says this in verse one, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and the believers were scattered. So their devotion was tested. They were persecuted for what they believed. It's interesting what the Bible says about them. It says in verse four, those who had been scattered, those who had been persecuted, if you go to Acts 8 verse 4, it says they preached the word wherever they went. In other words, they were undaunted by the persecution. They were steadfast in their commitment. They were devoted. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have been doing what I've been doing some these last couple of weeks. I've been watching the Olympics. And to me, I have seen some incredible examples of devotion, haven't we? The, these Olympic athletes, just, just incredibly talented, but they're not just talented. They're disciplined. They have practiced. They have disciplined themselves. They have given themselves to an endeavor, and they have worked really hard and completed their training. And so you come to the, um, to the uh, Olympics, and guess what? You see the culmination of their training, where they participate in these incredible Events Well, devotion is tested. And you want to make sure you're devoted to the right things if you know it's going to be tested. So if you and I are going to be the people of God, why would we think we'll be any different than any other generation of God's people? Our devotion is going to be tested. What do we really believe? What are we really committed to? What really matters to us? What should matter to us? What are the things we should be devoted to? I don't know if you've, if you've seen on the news this last week uh, the story of Maria Licciardi. She's an Italian woman. She is incredibly devoted. She de she's a devoted wife, a devoted mother, a devoted sister, a devoted daughter. She is committed to the family business. As a matter of fact, she's so devoted, she's the first woman to ascend to the position of power and leadership in her family business. She's 70 years old. Her nickname is the Godmother. And she's known for her sophisticated leadership, unparalleled in their family business. No woman has ever ascended to the height that she's ascended to. She is the head of the Secondigliano Alliance. It's the largest crime syndicate in Italy. She made the news this week because she was arrested on August the 7th in an airport in Rome. She's one of the most famous, according to them, female criminals in all of Italy. She's incredibly devoted and talented and sophisticated. But guess what? She's devoted to the wrong things. So, you and I, if we're going to be devoted, good. I highly recommend it. But for us as individual believers and for us as a church, don't you think it stands to reason that we ought to evaluate what we're actually devoted to? So what are we devoted to? Or more properly, to what are we devoted? 
Well, I want you to look at this text and I just want to point out some things that the early church was devoted to that I think can help guide us in our day, first century to the 21st century. Let me just run through them quickly this morning. We will talk about them more in our Bible study at some point. They were devoted to a believer's church. Notice that when you come to this story, verse 42, look back at verse 41, if you still have your Bible open, those who accepted the message were baptized, about 3,000 of them. So the early church was comprised only of believers, followers of Jesus. And the, and the book of Acts is filled with examples of believers, then baptism. You keep reading Acts 8, verse 12, Acts 8, verse 38, Acts 9, verse 18. You find it over and over and over and over in the book of Acts. The church in, in the New Testament was a believer's church. The way you could belong to a church was you had to demonstrate and express your faith in Jesus and decide to be a follower of Jesus. You were then baptized and you became a part of the fellowship. So it's a believer's church. They were devoted to that. Second, they were devoted to spiritual formation. If you look at verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What that means is they recognized apostolic authority. They recognized the apostolic witness. And because of that, they allowed themselves to be formed and shaped by the truth that was taught by the apostles. Now here you and I are, 20 centuries later, in 2021, what about us? Well, we're still committed to the apostolic witness. It's what you and I call the New Testament. The New Testament is tied to the apostles. The, the letters, the books that we find in the New Testament are connected to apostolic authority, apostolic witness. And so what happens when you begin to study and embrace apostolic witness, guess what? You're shaped and formed and changed. People ask me, well, do you believe people can change? If I didn't believe people can change, why would I waste my time doing this? Of course I believe people can change. That's what the gospel is all about. You allow God's truth to shape your life, shape our thinking, govern our behavior. My, my, my decisions about what I believe, what I choose to invest myself in are guided by the formative process of embracing apostolic witness, truth that's revealed to us. Third, they were, devoted, they were devoted to fellowship. The Greek says the fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word. The interesting thing about some languages is it's hard to translate some words into other languages. Koinonia is one of those words. It's hard to put it in English. It, it, it means so many different things. For example, it can mean generosity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 13, thank you for your koinonia. Thank you for sharing in my ministry, sharing with me financially. If you look at this text, here are some examples of fellowship. Look at verse 44. And they were all together. They had everything in common. They made sure that no one was in need. Verse 45, if they thought someone was in need, they would sell something. They would give the money to the church and the church would take care of one another. They lived in community. They shared meals with one another. You see, when God's spirit begins to work in the lives of his people, there's a desire to be together. There's a desire to live together in a new community. If we're going to be God's people and if we're going to follow our resurrected Lord, then we've got to live in communion with one another and we have to be committed to fellowship. They were devoted to worship. The text says they were devoted to the prayers is, the, is what the Greek text says. Well, worship is an object of our devotion, if you will, if we can say it that way. It's both formal and informal. They were in the temple praying. They also broke bread from house to house. Breaking bread, probably a reference both to eating as well as serving the Lord's Supper. And so 
there was a formality to it, there was an informality to it. Now here's what's going to happen. As the church, as the, as the Acts unfolds, churches are going to be established in communities all over the ancient world. And they're going to find ways to worship together. They're going to pray together. They're going to sing together. They're going to study the Bible together. They're going to fast together. They're going to serve one another. They're going to share the gospel together. They're going to communicate with one another. But these people were committed to worshiping God. They were worshiping people. And so one of the things that we do as God's people is we're devoted to worship. Next, they were devoted to ministry and service. I want you to notice that these early believers, they wanted to serve God in the everyday. And so they wanted to be engaged in ministry. Acts 2, it's generosity. One of the ways that they served was they gave. You go, you flip over to Acts 6, and you have a controversy in the church. There's a division among the widows in the church. And so the church decides we've got to figure out a way to serve these people. We've got to figure out a way to, to answer this, engage in ministry. You keep reading in the book of Acts, you come to Acts 9 and you, you encounter Dorcas. And she leads a ministry to the poor in Joppa. You know, almost every church I've ever pastored has a Dorcas fund. What do you think the Dorcas fund is used for? To help take care of people who are in need. It's named for Dorcas. That's what she did. And so we have a Dorcas fund in our church. You can give to it. And we use that money to care for the needs of people within our congregation. If you're in need, you can appeal to the Dorcas fund. I live on Dorcas Lane. I was telling a buddy of mine a while back, he said, I heard y'all moved. I said, yeah, where'd you move to? I said, moved on Dorcas Lane. He said, that's a weird name, Dorcas. I said, well, it's in the Bible. He looked at me real funny. He said, are you just messing with me? I said, it's in the Bible. It's a lady's name, Dorcas. Look it up. Um, well, you know, the church is going to minister to people. That's what happens. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. The Spirit of God equips the saints, and the saints go to work in the church. They're gifted. They're believers. And over time, Christians serve their communities. You read as, as Christian history unfolds, Christians were the ones in the ancient world who took care of the sick, the orphans, the widows, the elderly. They started hospitals. Christians were known for ministry. You know, when I look at First Baptist Arlington, and as I, I've been with you now 20 years, here's what I would tell you about our church. There are a lot of things I love about First Baptist Arlington. One of the things I love about First Baptist Arlington is that we put ministry where our mouth is. That's what this church does. It's one of the reasons I was attracted to you in the first place. This church doesn't just talk about it. In fact, this church doesn't talk much about it. This church just does it. We don't just talk about the poor. Guess what this church has done? We started a ministry to address the needs of the impoverished in our community, true? We celebrated that last Sunday. We don't make a big deal out of it. We don't put a banner in front of our church. Hey y'all, you know we own Mission Arlington. Hey everybody, yeah that would be ours. You know we do it, we, we're the ones taking, we don't, we don't do that, you know what we do? We just do it just in the everyday. So if you're hungry, if you need a place to go, if you need clothes, if you need furniture, if you need all kinds of help, guess what? We just try to help you. This church puts its ministry where its mouth is. You know, Dr. Wade discovered there was a need for women in this community who were being abused. So guess what this church did? Didn't make a big deal out of it. Didn't fly some banner and put it down anybody's throat to start a women's shelter. So the women's shelter that exists today in this community was started by this church. 
just putting ministry where our mouth is. You know, we, we realize that there are people in this community who have needs psychologically. They're dealing with all kinds of issues in their marriages, in their own personal life. So guess what we did? We've started the counseling center. Now, you know, we've just transitioned and we're now partnering with the Center for Integrative Counseling and Psychology, but we still have a counseling center because we're putting our ministry where our mouth is. We believe the gospel is supposed to be proclaimed across the world. So guess what we started doing a few years ago? Sending our own missionaries across the world, supporting them ourselves, letting them take the gospel on our behalf to the world. We also know that there are those who deal with relational and sexual brokenness. And so before I came to your church, this church partnered with a ministry called Living Hope. We still do. Now you may have noticed recently, Living Hope has been in the news because there are people who have accused Living Hope of practicing what's called popularly as conversion therapy. I don't know if you've heard about it or not, but I will just say to you that Living Hope does not have any therapists. So Living Hope does not do therapy of any kind. It's hard to do therapy without therapists. So that's not what Living Hope is. It doesn't engage in conversion therapy. And the only people who are at Living Hope are Americans who freely of their own volition have chosen to come and see if they can find relational healing in the gospel. In the gospel. Last time I looked, this is still America. And if you want to go and engage in a certain lifestyle in this nation, then guess what? You can go do it. It's, this is America. But we're a Baptist church, and as Baptists, we believe in religious liberty, the competency of the soul, and we believe in the autonomy of the local church. So I'm not going to go to your church and critique and ask about your ministry and help you understand how better to do yours. I'm going to pay attention to my own ministry and mind my own business and do what I think I'm supposed to be doing in mine because I'm a Baptist. So um, anyway, here's what it is. Um, then we're devoted to evangelism and mission. You know, the church in the early church, here's what they did. They're not just a, you know, the church is not just a gathering. The church is a purposeful community. What does that mean? Well, that means that the church is here to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus said, Acts 1, verse 8. We believe the gospel is only found in Jesus. Acts 4, verse 12. You can't find salvation anywhere else except for in Jesus. And so we believe in that. We follow the Jesus way. Acts 11. The church set forth this desire to take the gospel to the world. So they sent Paul and Barnabas out to the world. Well, the church was engaged in evangelism and mission. We still are as well. A couple others real quickly. The church was, in, was devoted to supportive infrastructure. Now that's a mouthful on Sunday morning. What does that mean? That means at some point they had to get organized. So Acts 6, they put together a team of people. Maybe they were deacons. Doesn't say that, but it could have been. They had an infrastructure. Well, as you keep reading the New Testament, guess what? Governance, deacons, elders, pastors. The church had to get organized and build an infrastructure to meet the needs of the community. The early church was also devoted to collaboration and partnership. You know, originally these churches were just house churches. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have staff. That's not the way that the churches worked. They were just house churches. Well, those house churches would gather together in these larger cities and they started partnering with one another. And then when the mission work started, they started sharing in that partnership. That's why you'll read Paul saying, hey, thank you for your financial gift. 
It's a church that's partnered with me in ministry. We believe in these collaborative partnerships. They form networks, collaborate with each other. Well, today, we're the same way. We partner with churches. As I said earlier, we're a Baptist church. As Baptists, we're independent, but we're not independent Baptists. In other words, we partner with our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in the Baptist family to take the gospel to the world. So we believe in these partnerships. And finally, the church was devoted to expansion. You know, this, the, the church believed it was supposed to grow. And so they took the gospel to the world. And you know, when you read Luke, Luke stops several times in the book of Acts. Acts 2 verse 47 is one of them. But Acts 6 verse 7, Acts 9 31, 11 21, 12 24, 16 5, 19 20. You know what he says every time? And the church grew. And the church grew. And the church grew. The church continued to grow in influence and power and numbers because God blesses the proclamation of the gospel. That's his plan. And so what do you and I do today? I'll be honest with you. One of the things we focus on here at our church is to be healthy because healthy things grow. And that's what you want. You want unhealthy things to not grow. You want healthy things to grow. So we want our church to be healthy. We want it to grow. Now let me just say this in summary and in conclusion this morning, if I may. You know, we live in a very challenging um, time, in my opinion. Um, this, is, this is a politically charged environment. I mean, if you want to start a fight in a church in America, you don't have to talk about Calvinism or post-millennialism or the doctrine of justification and atonement. You'll, you'll be hard-pressed to start a fight in a church in America today. You want to start a fight in church in America today? Why don't you require your people to wear masks to a meeting? That'll start a fight in a church in America today. Why don't you say something about a political candidate? That'll start a fight in the church in America today. It's a challenging environment. There's all these social hot buttons and social media. People can't wait to report what is going on. It's amazing to me. And more often than not, many of them have no idea what is really going on with all due respect. We make quick assessments. We're very judgmental. We're highly opinionated. I think Simone Biles, is that her name, Simone Biles? No, Simone, I think Simone Biles is a hero. I think Simone Biles is a quitter, okay? I line up with you, I line up with you. I mean, it's like, boom, we're we don't have to think about it. I can look at it, I can assess it in about 10 seconds, got it, I can move on. I'm an American, I'm quick, I'm a quick hitter. I can be judgmental, I can be just as opinionated as anybody else. Churches are becoming more homogenized because people have, are having a harder and harder time getting along with people they disagree with. So guess what's happening to the churches? They're starting to move to the extremes in our society. So Acts 2 verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe. I love that. It's like they, they looked at what was going on and they were like, man, I, I don't know how to explain it. The wonders and the signs these spirit-filled, anointed apostles were engaged in. Well, I would tell you, we need some of that today. We, we, we need for people to look at the churches and stand in awe of them. I want to be one of those churches. Not because I want the admiration. That's not the point. I want the testimony of the gospel. That's what I want. So, our church is very diverse. It's interesting, this church is. We're committed to biblical authority. 
the lordship of Christ, humility and service. So people don't know what to do with us. Because I hear it almost every week. They're confused about our church. People look at our church and say, well, y'all take care of the poor. Well, that's obviously a social gospel phenomenon. That's what liberal churches do. They don't teach the gospel. They just take care of the poor. So y'all must be a liberal church. You know, your church preaches the Bible every Sunday morning and you have Bible studies for all age groups. Well, that's what fundamentalist churches do. Y'all must be a really conservative church. Your church has women deacons and women staff members. Y'all are off the chart liberal. You're, you're a progressive church. Y'all are still sending missionaries and actually believe that you're taking the gospel to places where people still need to hear it. Y'all must be a bunch of off the chart fundamentalists. Your church still has traditional worship where they play hymns and play classic music. Well, only liberal churches do that anymore. Y'all must be progressive. You mean your church sponsors a ministry to help people find sexual wholeness? Well, y'all are off the chart fundamentalist. Here's what I tell you. You know what we are? We're a group of people who come from all kinds of backgrounds where everybody is welcome and we are humbly trying to glorify God by following the Jesus way. That's really who we are. And it's lived out in some interesting ways. And I'm just gonna tell y'all, as long as I have anything to say about it, that's how it's gonna stay. We are not gonna get in the ditch. There's enough people in the ditch already and here's what I've learned about them. Ditch people, whether they're on the right or the left, are the same people. We're gonna stay on the pavement and we're gonna follow Jesus from now on. That's who our church has been and that's who we'll continue to be. So let's check ourselves. There's nothing wrong with asking occasionally. Okay, let's stop. Are we devoted to the right things? Let's make sure. This is what we really believe in. Sure, I'm happy to do that. And then once we say we decide it, then let's just be devoted and may God be glorified. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Well, Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to live as your people in this day, in this era. And Lord, we realize how challenging it can be. My goodness, it's always been challenging. Early church was persecuted and, and, and faced all kinds of difficulties. In our church, Lord, today in the 2021, we face all kinds of challenges and, and opinions and views all around us. I get that. But Lord, I just, I just thank you for the privilege of being your people in this day. I ask you to help us to steward it well. And may we be found as people who want to glorify you and just humbly and graciously follow the way of Jesus. And Lord, may, as we do that, may we look at it and not, not because of us, but because of you, may we just stand in awe of what you've been able to do with the richness of such a diverse and complex place so that we can reach even more for the gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.